All right, I think we can all agree that every new investor struggles with the same issues. One of those issues is finding motivated sellers. Yes, this is probably the number one problem that I hear. Dave, how do I locate motivated sellers so I can wholesale properties for huge profits? Well, not to worry. One of my favorite ways to locate motivated sellers is by driving for dollars. When I drive for dollars, and I do it several times a week, I like using the Deal Machine app. Why? Because it's my favorite app and it makes driving for dollars super easy and fun. How does it work, you're probably asking. Well, as you're driving around looking for properties that are distressed, like for example, tall grass, broken or boarded up windows in need of major landscaping, broken down cars in the driveway, tarps on the roof, or just roofs that look really old, gutters falling off, paint chipping away, or peeling, or anything else that would lead you to believe that the house or the seller is distressed. This app helps you keep track of the addresses so you can plot several of these properties from your phone all while driving. Furthermore, this app has the ability to send direct mail to these property owners, and you can even skip trace these owners in real time and call and text them while you are in front of their property. I absolutely love this app, and I use it several times a week. Check it out for yourself. Go to Deal Machine in the App Store and download it. They offer a 14-day free trial, but don't forget to use the promo code DPI, and you will get up to $40 worth of free script tracing and mail credits. Again, use promo code DPI and go download this today. You will not regret it. I absolutely love it. Welcome back to season two of the Discount Property Investor Podcast. Our mission is to share with you what we have learned from our experience and the experience of others to help you make more money investing like a pro. We want to teach you how to create wealth by investing in real estate the Discount Property Investor way. Make sure you never miss an episode and download the Discount Property Investor app in Google Play or iTunes today. To jumpstart your real estate investing career, visit freewholesalecourse.com, the most complete. We are asked over and over again, how do you find the right phone numbers for the properties you're trying to buy? It is pretty simple. You skip trace the owner and property address. What does that mean? What does skip trace mean? It means you go and find the contact information of the owner of a property, but you don't want to do that one time. Real estate is a numbers game and a people business. You need to work a lot of leads to find motivated sellers. We use an awesome skip trace service that you can upload a giant list of names and addresses all at once, and a few minutes later, you have a ton of phone numbers for prospecting. Visit www.dpipodcast.com forward slash skip trace. Free course on wholesaling real estate ever. Thanks for tuning in. All right, guys, we are back. This is David Dodge, your host of the Discount Property Investor Podcast. My co-host, Mike Slane, is out in the field today buying us some properties. I think he actually got two under contract uh, this weekend, so he's out doing some due diligence on those this morning. However, I am joined 
by Mark Kinney this morning. And Mark is going to talk to us about multifamily. So Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, David. I'm glad to be on. Absolutely, Mark. I'm happy to have you. So Mark is from Think Multifamily, and he is the expert, one of the experts in the field on multifamily investing. So Mark, tell us and tell my audience, if you could, why real estate, why you decided to go into real estate, and how long ago you did, and for what reasons? Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, good question. So I started uh, about 26 years ago, actually. So I was a senior in college, and probably the main reason was because I kind of saw growing up, we didn't have a lot. We had food and we had a place to live, which is more than a lot of people in the world for sure, but we didn't have any extras. And anything I wanted, to, wanted I really had to start buying. So by 10 years old, I was buying my own bike and shoes and clothes, and I'm like, this kind of stinks as a 10-year-old to be buying everything ourselves, but uh, we just didn't have, a, didn't have money. Mm-hmm. Seven kids growing up total, so a lot of, a lot of kids to, to feed. And uh, so my twin brother and I kind of always a little bit entrepreneur mindset and didn't come from parents or uncles or anything. It's just more kind of more we didn't want to have to go through what my dad went through, like working every weekend, fixing cars and fixing TVs and toasters and like that kind of stinks. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like, we don't want to do that. So we were in college. Uh, we both went for accounting. And we, but when we were there, we're like, man, we like real estate a lot. We always have since we were little. I don't know why, just kind of the way we were born. And we said, well, everyone needs a place to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, so rather than investing, you know, all our money in stock market and things like that, let's go ahead and invest the money in multifamily. And it was smaller multifamily at the time. And we got our first deal and all excited. My dad met with us and he talked me out of the deal. So that was my first negative experience with the real estate. So your so dad walked, talked you out of the first deal that you were going to do. He did. It was under, we were under contract, actually. Okay. Okay. So not, not. He was trying to protect us, but reality is he's never bought a, a multifamily. He's 82 years old today. Never bought really anything, frankly. So probably not the best person to listen to, but I was 20, 22 at the time or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then continued to buy small multifamily. And then I uh, did... CPA for a while and then did IT, somehow switched over to IT consulting, started my own IT business in 2008 and was doing well with it. Had a number of Fortune 100 customers. And then uh, I was working minimum 80 hours a week. I would sleep pretty regularly about three hours a night and had a wife and two kids. And for some reason, my wife didn't like that. (laughs) The hours I was working and uh, I had people all over the world and I would travel and things like that. So making good money, but reality is home life was not doing well to the point where my wife's like, okay, um, I'm thinking about leaving. And I was like, what, you know? So she's like, can you do something different? And I said, okay, we buy a multifamily. Let's start buying larger multifamily, but we can't, can't quit my job doing it every two, three years buying a property. So let's look at syndication with our friend that had just started syndication. So the first I heard about it was in 2013. And started um, looking at larger multifamily. And since then, we bought about 5,500 units, well, 4,500 units right now in five different states. And then we have uh, educational platform and events and things like that as well that we, we provide. Wow. So you have, so let me recap. You've been investing for 26 years. Is that correct? Yes. And you've purchased 5,500 units in that time. However, today you own 4,500 units. Is that correct? That's correct. And you use syndication 
uh, to buy those money. Yeah. We raise money from other people and invest alongside us. That's correct. I love that strategy. So that's something that I've been really wanting to start doing um, because it doesn't limit you to, you know, a smaller type of deals. So um, my audience, my listeners and viewers, they know uh, quite a bit about me and, and that's that I have 50 rental properties at this point. My company wholesales six to 10 deals a month, you know, depending on the month. And we always have anywhere from three to five fix and flips going at any time. So we, we know quite a bit about the multi or about the single family space. Uh, pardon me there on that. Um, however, we don't know that much about the multifamily space nor the syndication space. So I'm honored to have you on the show today and to talk with you a little bit more you know, about, um, about this, about this topic and about this this strategy of investing. So let's start with this. Um, you had 5,500 units purchased, you own 4,500 today. So what happened to the thousand units that essentially you don't own anymore? We sold uh, last year, thousand units, three properties. Okay. And why? Uh, reality is, uh, we had a bad partner. Okay. So one, one to get out. We had three properties with this particular uh, person, and wanted to get out of the deals that we were in with him. So we sold those properties. And that makes sense. Understood. So the the properties that you guys are looking for now, or I should say, the properties that you own now, both. Um, what are you looking for in terms of a property? What What's the criteria that you look for? And then most importantly, why? Yeah, we typically look for 100 plus unit properties. Uh, main reason is because we were buying smaller properties. I was actively involved in the management, eviction, things like that. Uh, fixing toilets. I have like an eight-hour toilet story. <laughs> uh, there's there's a little more behind that story than than I'm, but uh, you know, cracking it several times, things like that. And um, I would come home literally nine ten o'clock at night in Atlanta, Michigan at the time. We're in Dallas now, and I would uh, shovel snow you know, 10 o'clock at night. And cause we didn't have the money to pay people we were 23, 24 years old at the time. And, um, so then I, uh, said, okay, well with multifamily, larger multifamily and, you know, for us, uh, if we get a hundred units or more, we get kind of the professional management you can definitely do it. I don't know. Do you use a management company right now at all? David, yeah, we do. So we had our management in house and we're aggressively buying singles. We're, we're trying to buy one a week right now. And the fact that we are aggressively buying also wholesaling and also doing some fix and flip on the side, it, it was just, we were spread too thin to, um, to also manage those properties and do it efficiently. So we've, we've recently outsourced, I say recently, like maybe five or six months ago, we've outsourced it to a property manager and we'll probably bring it back in house down the road. But we have, um, I have two partners. Um, here at my company, and we have a goal of getting to 150 single families, and okay. we're at 50 now. So we're we're a third of the way there. We think we can get there. Or we're hoping to get there within uh, within the next 24 months if we keep up, uh, you know, what we're doing now and basically buying buying one a week. Yeah. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to uh, to getting there. So yeah. that's kind of where we're at. But we don't do any of the management at this point in time, just because we just have so much other stuff going on. Yeah, we use third party managers, and what we have found is that Typically, once you start getting above, you know, probably around the 80 unit, we look at for larger properties, 80 units or so, then the professional management companies 
they're typically more professional in nature, meaning they manage thousands of units, they have their own, you know, accountants, they have their own, sometimes their own attorneys, they, everything is in house. Mm -hmm. So it kind of gives you that. And as far as, you know, looking at multifamily, you know, two units multifamily, but from a commercial standpoint, the lender will say five units and above would be a commercial type, you know, even though it's a residential uh, sure. property. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing is, and I'm sure, you know, some of you, you've talked about this before too, but you know, anything four units below, it's worth really what the property next door down the street, things like that's worth. Whereas in multifamily, let's say five units and above, we can increase the value through either increasing revenue or decreasing expenses. So literally for every dollar we increase our, our revenue or decrease our expenses, it doesn't matter which one, it's gonna be you know impacting our net operating income. Every dollar we do that is at a six cap is $16 of value. So literally I can turn around and let's say I start getting rents of an extra $50 a month or $75 a month. You have that's $16 of value for every single dollar. And you just can't do that in a small property. It's not to say you can't do well in smaller properties or you, you know, we, you know, we did, we did, did smaller properties, but that's how you start significantly increasing value of properties and doing refinances and supplemental loans or selling it and pulling out huge cash amounts that way. Yeah. So I, I love that. And that, and you're absolutely right. I, I totally agree. Um, you know, forcing appreciation on a single family is much more difficult than it is in the multis. And so we use the burst strategy here at my company to acquire our single families. And I know that there's lots of, lots of ways that you can also use the burst strategy essentially to get into multis. But one of my favorite things about multifamily uh, investing is that you can pull money out and it's not necessarily considered income because it's debt and right. it's tax-free. So that's really one of the major or, or main things that intrigues me um, to want to move into, into this space. So that's, that's really, really cool, Mark. I, I, I love that. And uh, yeah. I think the that's tax really benefits cool. as well. I mean, you get it on, different properties, but for us as, as syndicators, meaning we buy properties, we own, you know, maybe 32 properties right now. So, you know, put it in perspective, even if I, as a syndicator, we invest in long, alongside, but even if I invested $0 in a property, so for 2017, 2018, we paid zero federal income tax, zip, um, on, on it because of depreciation, what's called cost segregation, bonus appreciation, all these ways to accelerate the depreciation. And like one property alone we bought in 2018, you know, had $430,000 of depreciation allocated just to me as a syndicator, not even including money I invested in the deal. So you start adding that up across 30 properties or so, you know, um, 200,000, 300,000, you're not gonna pay any taxes most likely if you're a real syndicator. Right. Yeah. So you're, you're on a whole different level than me, but I, I get a lot of tax benefits, of course, from my singles, sure. not quite that much. I, I do pay some federal tax. It's very low compared to my friends. Right. Uh, but wow, that's cool. Well, Mark, let's do this. Um, my audience consists of a lot of people that are looking to get into real estate. They're looking to learn, you know, what they can do to become involved and when you say syndication, I understand what that means, but I don't think that a lot of my listeners and viewers 
know exactly what that means. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to take a couple minutes and, um, and have you explain to me and the, in the entire audience here, um, what is syndication? How does it work? And then why, most importantly, why is this strategy so awesome? Right. So syndication is just a fancy word really for typically it's related to money. So raising money from other people. So let's say, for example, we're doing a deal and we need to bring $3 million to the deal in addition to the loan and things like that. So we'll invest money in the deal ourselves, not $3 million, and then we'll bring other investors alongside us, which would be called limited partners or they call members sometimes, same thing. And when they're, they're now investing in the deal with us. Now, we're the managers, syndicators in this case. We kind of control a lot of things. The limited partner is pretty much investing and hopefully receiving checks on quarterly basis, for example, but they're not really making a lot of the day-to-day decisions or anything like that. So they're a very limited partner. We're considered the general partner or the managers of that. So just a fancy word for really raising money from other people. Uh, why would you do it? Well, I'm probably a pretty good example of it because I was making really good money in IT. I had my own mm-hmm. team business. I had you know projects like Marathon Oil, T-Mobile, some large companies. Doing, doing pretty well, but I had a personal you know, issue where uh, the money didn't really matter because it was having a big impact uh, on my life because health-wise and even you know, family-wise. So for me, if I was going to try to quit my IT job and start buying properties on my own, I'm limited to a couple of things. One, I'm limited to the amount of money I can put in by myself if I don't syndicate. I'm also limited on a loan perspective to my own net worth and my own liquidity. Uh, both of which, you know, at that time wouldn't have got me a lot, frankly. So when we look at syndication, we, we kind of have a concept called family syndication. And it really just means each person can play a different role. So maybe you find a deal, David, and I analyze a deal and somebody else sends a loan and other people raise capital and do other things like that. But the, the reason we did it, it was because you can significantly increase your, your uh, cash flow, your net worth, income so we'll we'll take a a two percent acquisition fee based on the purchase price which is a lot different buying a 25 million dollar building versus buying a three hundred thousand dollar building if you take sure. so um that that can be a good source of income as well also usually we'll have uh you call that an acquisition fee then it's a two percent acquisition fee based on the per- yeah again purchase price okay. mm-hmm. yeah so when you close the deal Depending one and a half to two percent, depending on how big the deal is, then the general partners or syndicators, if you want to call them, will split up those funds based on who did, you know, who did what essentially. Mm-hmm. But you start doing a few deals a year, and you're doing, you know, five, ten million dollar deals or even bigger than that, it can add up pretty quickly. So your net worth, cash flow, income, uh, tax benefits are just at a whole new level than when we were doing smaller properties. Yeah. I, I concur. So let me ask you this, Mark. I got a couple questions. So the why was limited to the amount of money you can put it, put in on, like on yourself, but also limited on the loans that are based on your own net worth. So how does it change whenever you walk into a bank and you say, Hey, I'm bringing in a bunch of limited partners. Why would that give you, why would that change the, you know, the the opinion of lending to you from the bank's point of view, um, you know, if you can go raise, let's say two or 3 million to put down um, versus not being able to do that. Right. So the, 
the lender, first one thing is that our loans are non-recourse. So we don't have personal liability, which is a big difference when I had, you know, four units below, I had, I had recourse loans. With uh, multifamily starting at five units and above, you have the option to get non-recourse. I say no personal liability, but if you do something fraudulent, unethical, things like that, they can come after you, which they should come after you. You did something wrong. Right. Not one big, big thing. And then we get to reuse our, uh, my net worth. You know, say, for example, just say your, your net worth is, let's say it's a million dollars. You say, well, I, the loan's five million. What do I do? You bring other people in with you. They're called KPs or key principals. Mm-hmm. And all of their net worths together, along with yours, get added together and say, oh, David plus another three people, we have $6 million net worth. We're covered there. So we get to combine it there. But you also get to reuse it. Meaning we have over 30 loans right now and my, my net worth isn't $300 million, but loan wise, $300 million in loans. Wow. You don't get tapped out. Wow. Mark, that's, that's powerful. That's really cool. So we, we work with five or six banks locally here in St. Louis where we invest and where I'm from. And we do not get that advantage. That is for sure. They look at, all the loans that we have and they look at our income and they look at our debt to income and they look at our credit and we don't get to necessarily reuse that. It's, it can tap out. And there's been situations where we've had to essentially slow down or take a break and pay down some debt before banks would want to lend to us again. So, wow, that is. Yeah. They'll, they'll end up looking at the property itself. They're more concerned with their property itself than they are you as an individual. I mean, they're going to still look at you. They're going to underwrite you, but of course, of course, but they're looking at the property just, just as much, if not more, like a which, which they look at it as a business is as a, a business to survive. If Mark Kenny is no longer on the loan, can the lender take over that property and, and make a profit off it? Right. So when you've said you've been investing for 26 years, how long um, have you been investing in these bigger 100 plus unit buildings? Has that been the whole time? Or is that something that you kind of transitioned to? Yeah, transition originally in 2013. Okay. Um, I was a passive investor. A friend of mine was doing a syndication. I never heard of syndication until that point in time. I never knew it was. And he was doing a syndication. I invested some money with him. I'm like, this seems like it make a lot of sense to me. Um, and then we, we started looking around that time ourselves. It took us a while to get a deal because I really was just crazy, crazy busy. When we looked a lot of other areas as well before we decided 100% on multifamily. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started uh, meeting with brokers, touring properties, got our, our first deal with 64 doors. I, you know, I wish it was a little bit bigger, but it's a good first deal for sure. And um, once we started getting deals, we just, how we have more deal flow. We literally have, five deals under contract right now and five more accepted letter of intent. So we're, we're still finding really good deals. Wow. That's cool. So speaking of finding good deals, Mark, what's, what's one of the, what's some of the strategies that you all use in order to locate these deals? So me, before I even ask that question, me, whenever I'm searching for the singles, I'm really looking for something in my own market. So I'd imagine you, you may be a little different than that and that's okay, right? So I'm looking for something that's within a 30 minute drive of my office and my office is only a five minute drive from my home. So it's basically within my own market. I'm looking for motivated sellers, okay? Again, I'm on the single family side. 
we're building our portfolio of rentals, but we're doing it kind of slow compared to most in terms of buying a hundred at once. Right. And uh, we market for motivated sellers. So, you know, we get properties occasionally that are listed on the MLS or, you know, the traditional real estate brokerage type of scenario. Um, but those are few and far between the majority of our deals come from our marketing direct to the seller. So we do, you know, we do um, Google AdWords, we do lots of mail, we do a lot of skip tracing, which then leads to cold calling or cold texting. We do driving for dollars. Um, I even have an ad on the radio. That's great because it reaches a really broad area around town. But essentially, I'm looking for a motivated seller that is motivated for one of two reasons. Either they themselves are distressed or two, the property is distressed. And the home run, I'm talking boom, the home mm -hmm. run for me is when I find a motivated seller that is distressed themselves and the property is distressed. So both, right? But I'm really looking for one or the other at a minimum. So when you're going out and finding deals, is it similar? Is it different? How and why? Very similar. I mean, we, we will go, you know, we're in five states, multiple markets in each state right now, but we do have a third party management company that typically will manage thousands of units. So we kind of rely on them a lot in that sub market, which gives us a little bit more comfort level. If we own, you know, 2000 units in Atlanta, gives us kind of the clout uh, to work with them. Similar things though, you know, job growth, population growth, landlord friendly, um, you know, want to make sure we can, you know, rent control, uh, low, low supply of new entry coming in the market, those type of things. Uh, we originally started buying just in our own backyard in Dallas, Fort Worth, and just expanded out and, you know, done pretty well with that. Uh, we can pretty much go in any market just through relationships, but it's given us the ability to, uh, you know, first one you do out of the state is a little unnerving. It really is. And we've burned through management companies before, unfortunately, and had to replace them and things like that's going to happen. Sure. So that's, that's kind of our criteria as far as, um, you know, job growth, population, easy to evict, things like that. Right, right. Okay, very cool. Well, that's good. So five different states, and you said you're, with the, you're in multiple markets within those five states. How many markets total? Um, we're probably uh, about uh, 13. Okay. So like in Atlanta, for example, we own in Dalton, which is way northeast, and we own Savannah. We have another one that's going to be south of Savannah, and we own in Atlanta. So we're like five markets just in Atlanta, you know, in Georgia itself. Mm -hmm. Okay, very interesting. So whenever you guys go out and you find these deals, you put these deals under contract, and then that's, in my opinion, you know, that's the easy part necessarily, finding the deals getting them under contract, then you got to go raise the money. That's where the syndication comes in. So right. what are some of your strategies in order to go raise that money? So earlier you had used an example of needing to get $3 million on top of the loan. Right. So let's, let's stick to that particular example just for ease of use, if that's okay with you. Um, but yeah. let's say you go out and you find a property, you get it under contract, um, you need to then raise three million. So you had mentioned earlier that that would that loan that you would be acquiring would be a non-recourse loan. Now the three million that you're borrowing is that also non-recourse or not borrowing? I should say raising. Is that also non-recourse or how does that work? Yeah, there it, it is. They're all investors in there and they're uh, they're buying called units, but it's it's really more of like I think almost as a share of of the of the deal. Okay. Um, 
we do pay a preferred return, which means the investors get the first uh, returns if it's available, but if it's not available, they, they don't get it. Right, okay. Um, so, so this example, let's say you had 3 million to raise. Uh, first of all, if you never raised money before, you don't really know what you can raise and that's fine, right? Nobody knows what they can do. We still get nervous raising money because we're taking money from other people and we have a lot of deals going on and things like that. So there's nothing wrong with getting nervous about raising money. You probably should sure. get mm -hmm. nervous. Um, but you can't wait till you have a deal and start raising money. You really need to do things like what you're doing, podcasts, you need to go to events, you need to get on social media. Uh, some people might say, well, I'm not, a, you know, I don't want to be on a podcast. I don't want, that's fine. You know, okay, you don't have to do what, what you're doing, David. But there are certain things you're going to have to do. You have to get typically off your butt and go out and meet people face to face. Uh, meetups are free. Events are all, you know, pretty much every weekend you go to multifamily event if you want to across the country if you want to. Okay. Yep. It's easier to build that. Follow up with people once you meet with them. You know, hey, met you at the events, you know, through email, phone call or might be. Try to meet them face to face again if you can. Um, in, you know, in person if they're kind of local, things like that. Um, and mm -hmm. then you want to basically qualify them and figure out whether they're a really candidate for investing with you or not. You know, they might be great, a great person but they don't have any money to invest, then they're probably not, you know, a good candidate for investing with you. And then the other thing you can do is, you know, you want to look a little legit. So you should have your own domain. It's cheap to get your own domain, have your own website. It could be one page, doesn't matter. And then start putting some sort of content out there and it can like a lead magnet. It can be very basic, you know, 10 lessons learned in multifamily investing, whatever you want. But the idea is you, you really need to capture people's email addresses. Having, you know, we know a guy, real example, had over a million followers on YouTube and YouTube cut him off forever. He's done on YouTube. Well, he doesn't have access to a million people anymore. So you want to be able to provide some sort of value out there, get people to give him your, your email address, uh, ideally. Don't ask him 50 questions. They won't fill it out, but you get a name and maybe email address and then start communicating with them. Hey, can I get on a call with you? Maybe do a monthly or quarterly newsletter. It's all about people need to know who you are for that. And at the end of the day, partner with other people that have, uh, you know, able to raise capital, some legal aspects around that we won't go into, but partner with other people that raise capital if you need to. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with being, you know, too much money. It's okay. Uh, better than not having enough and not closing the deal. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So whenever you are, so those are some really great pointers, Mark. Thank you so much. So you, you had mentioned, you know, meetups are free. There's tons of meetups out there. Go find those meetups, get in front of people, follow up with those people after you meet them. Of course, you want to qualify them to see if they have money and if they do, if they're interested in investing it. And then of course, you want to look legit, get your domain, get your website going, you know, start putting out some content. Totally agree with everything you just said. That was very, very good. So that's awesome. And then last but not least, you had mentioned, you know, you need to capture those email addresses. And I am familiar with the fact that social socials like YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, they are in control. They can cut you off at any time. Yeah. So it's not necessarily a bad thing to invest in those, in those, um, in those channels um, so for the most part. However, you don't want to put all your eggs in those baskets because they can cut you off. So by having an email capture to then be able to communicate with those people directly outside of those channels is extremely important. So I just really want to emphasize that. Um, 
and 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 say I agree, and that that's very very powerful. So that's yeah. awesome, Mark. Great summary, Love that. For sure, it really is, and it takes time. You know, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, we have a, a coaching group, and most well, virtually everyone has said it's harder to raise than I thought it was going to be, right? But you learn by your doing. We have a guy that you know kept saying he wanted to invest in different deals with us. It was three years, no joke, before he invested in the first deal, and it was just about three four months ago he invested in a deal with us. After three years. Wow. You don't know timing wise life events. And if you get people that say, Hey, I'm interested, I'm interested. You need to know that a lot of people that said they're interested won't follow through because of timing, other, other things going on. So don't count every single person that says, Hey, I'm in because they're not going to be in. Unfortunately. Yeah, no, that's, that's really, really good advice. Mark, let me ask you this. So whenever you're out, you're doing all these things that we just mentioned, you're going to meetups, you're getting in front of people, you're building relationships. Um, Let's say that you come across somebody like me that says, hey, you know, I don't have a ton of cash, but let's say I got 150 grand or 200 grand and I want to invest it. Um, and I know that there's, this is maybe a hard question to answer because, you know, each deal may have a little bit different scenario going on, but what's a good standard um, for somebody to expect in, in terms of like interest on their money? When can they expect to get it back? And then also with them being a limited partner, or let's, let's use an example as, you know, maybe let's say that I'm the investor and you're trying to pitch me, right? Um, you know, what would I expect other than just an interest rate or a return? Like, do I get equity in the deal? I guess, again, it, it may be a little different, but just to kind of keep it really simple for all of our listeners and viewers, um, what can they expect, I guess, is my yeah. question. No, it's a great question for sure. So we typically shoot for a, 10% cash on cash return. So let's say someone invested $100,000, they'd be getting $10,000 a year on an annual basis. And you typically try to pay quarterly. I guess, again, that varies, but. Quarterly. Yeah, it is. it is quarterly for us. Right. And then yep. some point in time, we want to have a capital event. Capital event could be a refinance or a supplemental loan, which is like a second loan on the property. Think of it kind of as a HELOC in a way. Differences, but it's similar. Mm -hmm. or a sale. So by the end of five years, we want to be able to give you your $100,000 back plus another $100,000 through cash flow and through, you know, capture through equity from refi, sale, or it might be. Okay. So, so let, let me interrupt you for one sec, Mark. So you're going to, on average, and again, everyone that's listening, just know that, you know, every deal is going to be a little different. So this is not end all sale. We're just trying to go with averages here. So Mark, again, thank you so much for this information. Um, but 10% cash on cash is what you shoot for. Again, it may be a little different. You try to pay out quarterly. And then at the end of the five years, you, you want to give them a hundred thousand back plus another hundred thousand either. And that could not necessarily be cash, but that could be an equity or something else. But that's right. not, that's not including the quarterly payments that had already been made or no. It does include it. Yeah. It does include it. Okay. Yeah. Got it. It, got it. it won't okay. be equity. I'll get the equity just for a second as well. It would be cash. That's either through a refinance. Like we just did, we've done about six refinances over the last 12 months. Um, the equity piece, the way we structure it, and it's similar for a lot of people, we typically will pay an 8% preferred return, which just means that the, the investors, limited partners, would get the first 8% before we receive a dime. Okay. But they're not capped at 8%. They can make more but they get the first 8%, anything above that, we get, we do a 70-30 split. 70% to the investor, 30% to the managers, anything above that. So they okay. do have equity in our deals, at least the way we structure it. They're getting the first flow of cash flow before we get it. 
And if we can't pay a preferred return for whatever reason, we accrue it, meaning we owe it to them still. And if we were to try to sell a property, we have to pay them back first and look to say, anything left over? Yes, there is. We paid them back. And now we're going to do a 70-30 split. Okay. Oh, that's awesome, man. So essentially, you're making profits on, on all of their capital, and then you're getting leverage on that as well. So. <laughs> Wow, this is this is really really powerful. That's awesome. So when you sell a property, the investors get paid back first, and then you typically are going to split the the profit or the difference of that at a seventy thirty split. That's wow, correct. that's cool. So um, you you said you had sold a couple um, because of a bad business partner. It happens. Totally understand that. What's the long term goals for you or your team? You know, with these units. Well, it probably changed a little bit. Um, I prefer to hold properties longer now because a lot of properties we've bought, we put a lot of money into, we know the property, we know the area, and we're able to do kind of these, you know, I'd say quicker refinances or supplemental loan, things like that. So I look at it this way. If we were just paying you cash flow for year after year for let's say five years, and we can't get you a big pop, like through a refinance, things like that, then I think it probably makes sense to sell the property because we tell people usually we have about a five year horizon on it. Mm -hmm. Now, if we can do things like, let's say we pay you 80% of your equity back after 18 months, 24 months through a refinance. Mm -hmm. Well, you don't have, you only have 20% of your money left in the deal. So if we can do that, I'd rather hold the property longer provided we can still cash flow and we like the characteristics of the property. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe some things you don't like about it, but if we do hold it longer, and just keep paying cash flow, maybe do another refinance, another supplemental loan, and just having these kind of big um, equity events, if you want to say capital events, where the investors get a big chunk of money. But if you can't do that, my personal opinion is you owe it to the investors to try to sell a property. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I totally, totally follow you, follow on that. That makes, makes perfect sense. Um, so five years is typically what you're shooting for in terms of the minimum five years and above is really, really, really where you would like to be. But again, that kind of depends on some of the situations that are happening with the, with the property itself. And the market. So, too. And the market too. Yeah, that's a good point too. I didn't think about that. And the market too. Okay. And that's awesome. So when, in terms of the, the financing that you're getting, so you have, you have two, two different pools of, of capital, essentially. You have the money that's being raised that you guys are paying a return to those investors with, as you had mentioned, like a horizon at, at five years. Um, but then you're going to the bank and you're getting loans on top of that. What do those loans typically look like? You had mentioned that they're non-recourse loans. What's the rate? What's the term? What are some of the details of that, of that loan? And can anybody just walk into any bank and get these type of loans? Or are these, you know, FHA loans? Are they portfolio loans? Are they sold off in the secondary market? Uh, just a couple of quick questions about that. I know that's a lot, but I'm just Oh curious. yeah, no, it's a it, good question because the, the loan terms are very, very different than single family or smaller multifamily. Um, but one, you know, pretty much all of the above. I mean, some loans, we'll we try to get a Fannie or Freddie loan. Um, and then we also do a number of what's just called bridge loans. Um, we do that on a regular basis as well. Probably about a third of the deals we do have bridge loans. Okay. Term wise, let's just say our Fannie or Freddie. Generally speaking, Fannie will give you $5,000 of rehab and Freddie small balance will give you zero rehab. Uh, term, it would typically going to be about the, you know, 
we try to do about 10 to 12 year term on it. Okay. And it's going to have a balloon payment at the end of that. So it's, it's amortized over 30 years, but it's usually a 10 to 12 year loan in a general statement. Okay. Uh, rates are going to be around, you know, uh, four ish right now. So still pretty attractive okay. rates for sure. Oh yeah. We that's great. Get, rate. uh, yeah. We will get interest only on a regular basis. So we've gotten up to five years of interest only. Um, okay. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, the, and as far as walking in there, it's, it's a lot more challenging. So even if you have money, you have net worth, you have liquidity there, there's a good chance Fannie in particular, you will not get a loan. You're going to have to somebody else sign with you that has experience. I've done that before. Uh, Freddie still very, very difficult. Maybe could get it, but if you have a real strong business and things like that, maybe you can get it, maybe not. So you probably have to go into it assuming that you're going to have to have some other person sign, which would be called a KP or key principal along with you that has that experience. Um, then we have other loans, right? I mean, the bridge loans are very, very, well, yeah. they're complicated if you're not familiar with them. So don't try to do that your first one, unless you really know what you're doing because they're very, very different. They're typically going to be three to five years in, in uh, duration, uh, interest only, but the fees are higher and you have things like, you know, what they call the rate caps and you have things like interest reserves. It's a lot more complicated way of doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's kind of, you know, some of the differences between single family and multifamily. Yeah, then that's a big differences. So what we shoot for in my business, we shoot for 20 year amorts. Now, again, we, we've done some 15s, we've done some 25s, we've done some 30s. I like the 20 because I just want to pay these properties off. Um, however, none, none of the loans that, I, that I'm interested in balloon. They all just renew. And as you know, the benefit of that is that you're not restarting over on your amortization table every time that you're refinancing or you're getting a new, a new loan. So typically, you know, if I walk into a local bank, and they say, oh, yeah, this, this loan balloons. No, thank you. Not interested. Um, but it sounds like that's more common in the multifamily space. It is. And, you know, multifamily, too, will have, uh, some cases, a, a pretty high prepayment penalty to be aware of. So bridge loans, usually after about a year, they're, we're done with that. But on a, let's say, for example, you know, Fannie or Freddie, you might have what's called a step-down prepayment penalty. It might be 5%. So you'll see five, five, which is the first two years, 5%, then four, four for the next two years, three, three, two, two, you know, one, one mm -hmm. down like that. Or you have something just as a term, we don't have to go into all the details called yield maintenance. Yield maintenance pretty much means you, your prepayment penalty is the same for the first, like a 10 year loan, it's almost the same for the first nine and a half years. <laughs> oh, wow. Does not go down much at all. Um, so that's something, and put it in perspective, we have property, we assumed a loan from somebody else. It was a $12.3 million loan that we assumed. And it had, at that point in time, we bought it, it had a $1.9 million prepayment penalty. <laughs> Man, that's so, crazy. So it's pretty common then to have a prepayment penalty in these type of loans. Then It's common. There are other ways around it. There are, but it's going to be more times than not, you will have a prepayment penalty. Uh, and you can assume loans. So you can assume the loan from somebody else, which means that, you know, you don't have to worry about the prepayment penalty, things like that. Now, when you assume a loan though, are you being underwritten by that bank? You you're not buying it subject to that existing loan. You're actually assuming it. So you become the borrower essentially, right? You are. 
general okay. statement, the lender wants you to be equal or better than the current owner. So let's say, for example, in our example, net worth had to be $3 million. Well, that's true. But if you're assuming a loan and let's say someone had a net worth of $50 million and you're assuming the loan from that person, you know, from that bank that had the loan with a $50 million net worth person, they kind of want you to be kind of equal or greater than that person. So yeah, they want to reduce their risk if, if anything. They're right. not trying to increase it. So that, that, that makes sense. Yeah. I totally get that. And I, I, can, I can see how that could be challenging right. um, in some scenarios in the event that somebody does have a net worth of $50 million and right. that's going to be tough to, 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 to be equal to or better than. So right. I totally get that. And that, that makes a lot of sense. So, wow, wow. That, you've given us a ton of information, Mark. I want to, again, thank you for coming on. Um, so loans, let's do a quick recap. You, you're, you work with Fannie, you work with Freddie, and you also do some, some bridge loans. Um, you usually are looking for a 10 to 12 year term that balloons. And your AMORT, I would imagine on average is 30 years. Do you have any 40s? No. 40, you can get like more for HUD and things like that for uh, HUD loans, 35 to 40 years, depending on new development or not. But we don't have, ours are 30. All 30. Okay. Rates are around four interest only in, in some scenarios. And then most, not all, but most have the prepayment penalties. Wow. That's, that's pretty cool. So you guys go out and you raise in that scenario we had talked about earlier, you raise the 3 million and you use that 3 million as your skin in the game to then get the loan. So excuse me, in a scenario like this, what kind of loan could you get off of having $3 million, you know, pooled together by, by some investors that you had syndicated from? Good question. We'll, we'll typically get 75, 80% um, loan. Okay. Bridge loans, we've gotten up to 87% um, because they give us 80% of the purchase price plus 100% of the rehab dollars. In this example, rehab was almost as much as the property. So, oh, wow. Uh, but yeah, 75, some markets are called pre-review, which the default means 65% leverage from the lender. Um, doesn't mean you can't get more, but that's kind of the default. So sure. But seven, I would say, you know, 75% is, is really common still for us. And we're still getting 80% of some loans. Wow. That's awesome. Very cool. Very cool. So Mark, before we jump into talking about how people can reach out to you and about some of the things that you're doing to help people learn more about this and, and coaching and all that type of good stuff. Um, tell me about the first deal or the first couple of deals that you did that really sparked your interest to keep doing this, you know, cause essentially it, whenever you, whenever I hear, you know, that you have 4,500 units, it's like, boom, mind blown. Right. And you know, you had to start somewhere. So you had, you had started out, doing, I guess, singles first, but then you kind of switched over into the multi-space. And those first couple of deals that you were doing, were they 100 plus units and were you syndicating at that time? Or did you kind of level yourself up step by step? The first bigger deal we did uh, was 64 uh, units. Okay. Uh, the second one was 208. So we went from 64 to 208. Um, so you know, I was, uh, I felt good about a lot of aspects, but the money raising part was where I had the most fear, frankly, because mm -hmm. it's the first time raising money, about a million dollar raise in the first deal, um, which at that point in time was, it was a lot and it was scary. Mm -hmm. Um, but I had a part that was the, that was on the 64 unit. Yes. Okay. So you had to raise a mill. Yeah. 
Okay. We had a, I had a partner though. They had more experience than I did at the time, which gave me some comfort level. So that helped me kind of get my start. And, and typically if you're going to try to do a little bit larger property, you, you need somebody there to partner with is, is a general statement. It's really hard to, let's say hundred plus unit deals really hard where you get a deal because brokers don't want to sell to you and sellers don't want to sell to you. They have no confidence in your ability to close a deal. So when, when they know you're syndicating, you're saying, right. Even okay. if you're not syndicating, believe it or not, if you say, I'm going to buy the property, we've never bought a hundred unit property before. They're going to say, well, I don't really have confidence in your ability to close because it is, it is a lot more, I might say complicated, it's not hard, but it's a lot more complicated closing a hundred plus unit deal. Cause you assume a lot of things, contracts or everything is more magnified, right? Right. Um, so a lot of sellers don't, don't want to sell to someone new. I wouldn't, we sold three properties last year. I wouldn't sell to someone new, even if they had the cash, frankly, because I don't believe they're going to close the deal. Interesting. So that's, that's kind of a, a barrier to entry then. It's a big barrier to entry. That's it's where a big barrier to entry. Jobs. It's like you have to have experience to get the job, but then again, the job wants you to have experience. It's same it's thing like when a, you graduate from college, man, right? How yeah. How to get experience if I don't have a, you know, have a job. So yeah, how do I get the experience? Okay. So that's just something that you just got to kind of work through and that's okay. You know, every, everything yeah. that's, that's challenging and, and has a, a good reward at the end is, is, is going to, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a struggle or it's going to be difficult in the beginning, but I'm sure just like everything, it's, it's going to get easier. As that's right. On. Exactly right. So very cool. Well, Mark, tell, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about how my, my audience can reach out to you if they have questions, do you offer any coaching or courses on the topic? Um, so on and so forth. I'm, I'm very interested to learn more about that. You do. As far as getting a hold of me, my email is mark, M-A-R-K, at thinkmultifamily.com. That's our, our website, Think Multifamily. We do. We, we hold events. Um, some are very technical in nature. We have like a deal analysis workshop we do. You bring, you bring your computer and we'll mm -hmm. work through deals together. I tell people, not the, not the most fun class to take. <laughs> I like that you're transparent about it, but I that's okay. People, it's intense and it's... Uh, yep. A little bit head, you know, head damage, frankly, going brain damage, going through it, but very right. good. Two day, two full days. Okay. We do other events called the Fire Summit, where we go over the different aspects of, you know, fourteen steps of, of buying apartments and things like that, syndication, and then uh, we do have some online training material as well that we provide, and then we we have one on one coaching. So what we've been doing about two years. It's gone, it's gone well. Uh, we have a lot of, you know, really good uh, success stories and. It's just the way our community is structured, frankly. Everyone is helping each other get deals and helping each other. If someone doesn't doesn't have an area of expertise, somebody else jumps in and helps them and things like that. But I do all the one-on-one -on -one coaching myself. Mm -hmm. we, don't do any, we don't have any sub-coaches or anything like that. It's all you. I love it. So, guys, listen, listen here. If you want to connect with Mark, okay, you can email him at mark at thinkmultifamily.com. And I'd imagine if they go to just thinkmultifamily.com, the, the URL, the website, they can find more information about your two-day events that you host. Um, and what are those events called, the two-day events? Fire Summit. Fire Summit. Okay. Very cool. How often are you having those events, Mark? Twice a year for, for that fire. And then the deal analysis workshop is typically once a year. Okay. Got it. Very cool. And then do you guys have those in your market there in Dallas or do you have them kind of moving around or how does that work? 
Mostly in Dallas now, where we had one in Atlanta as well that went well, you know, went went really good too. So we're looking at maybe expanding out others, but most of what we do is in Dallas. Okay, very cool. And then again, Mark offers online training as well as coaching. Can they also go to thinkmultifamily.com to learn to learn more about that? They can, yes. Sweet. So guys, that's it. One stop shop thinkmultifamily.com or just connect directly with Mark via email at mark at thinkmultifamily.com. Mark, I am utterly impressed. 4,500 units. I'm trying to get to 150 singles and you're buying buildings that have 150 units in them in one swoop. Very, very impressive. Very, very cool. I know I'm going to look into more, more information on your website and I would love to attend one of your events. Um, so I'm super excited. I hope that the audience, the viewers, the listeners found a ton of value in this podcast today. I know I did. Um, you know, real estate investing is, is unique in, in the sense that there's so many different ways to go about investing in real estate. And when you're dealing with multifamily, you have so many advantages to you know, pooling resources, buying these bigger units, tax advantages, cash flow, you name it. Very, very, very cool. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Again, I know I learned a ton and I'm grateful for your time. No, thanks, David. I really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Absolutely. Guys, don't forget, thinkmultifamily.com. I'm gonna say it one more time. Uh, Mark's got two two-day events that he does twice a year. He also offers training. He offers online coaching. And you can reach out to him directly at mark at thinkmultifamily.com. There's no like dashes or anything in there, right? No, no. Very simple. Very cool. Very cool. All right, guys. That's another episode of the Discount Property Investor Podcast. I want to personally thank Mark for coming on. If you are new to real estate investing, check out our free course. Um, on wholesaling. It's the easiest way to get involved in real estate investing and to start finding those deals. You can check out our course at freewholesalecourse.com. We are signing off. Until next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe to help us reach a wider audience. To jumpstart your real estate investing career, please visit freewholesalecourse.com, the most complete free course on wholesaling real estate ever. We would also appreciate it if you left us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you in advance for your support. And remember, you make your money when you buy and you get paid when you sell. Now let's go build some wealth.